Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Good morning, everyone. It is August 15th, 2016, and you're listening to Locked On Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the editor of OrlandoMagicDaily.com, and we've got an action-packed episode for you today. So I want to remind everyone that you can get the Locked On Magic podcast downloaded automatically to your iTunes-enabled listening device via iTunes, and you can also find us on Audio Boom and Stitcher. You probably already know that. You found us already. Uh, on today's show, I have a, a quick thought about the schedule and what I think is actually the most important stretch of the schedule uh, for the Orlando Magic now that we've had had a weekend to digest it. But most of this podcast is going to be spent talking about Mario Hizonia and his role with the Croatian national team. I'll be chatting with Chris Barnwall, a good friend of the site uh, of various websites, including Hardwood Paroxysm and At The Hive. But before we get to Chris, I do want to quickly recount a, a busy week over at the Olympics, over at the uh, over in Rio de Janeiro during the Olympic basketball tournament. Team USA with two three-point wins. I did not say that wrong, two three-point wins, uh, and Croatia taking a really difficult loss to Nigeria. Uh, We'll start with Team USA. Obviously, Team USA is a little bit of a mess right now, uh, considering the, uh, just just where the team is at. They're they're inconsistent on offense. Their defense is frankly atrocious. It's it's tough to, to really see uh, what they're supposed to be doing, frankly, what 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 they're uh, what they're uh, trying to get done, and, and certainly uh, it, it's supposed to be similar to the pressure defenses that they've run in the past with Team USA under Coach K, but they're not rotating fast enough. They're not staying together. They're not communicating, and they're getting beat up on the defensive end. Uh, against both Serbia on Friday and France on Sunday, it looked like Team USA was getting ready to pull away. And then all of a sudden, the other team just comes back. Milos Teodosic just absolutely destroyed the ma- destroyed the magic, uh, just destroyed. Or not, sorry, not the magic. That 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 did happen a lot last year, but uh, absolutely destroyed Team USA every single time. Uh, and it was very very frustrating to watch for sure. It was definitely a a difficult uh, difficult uh, thing to watch, and so. Trying to load up here. Sorry, uh, it, it it it's just really frustrating. I mean, it's really frustrating to see the team USA, a team that we know has all the talent in the world, unable to to pick it up right now. Frankly, unable to 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 get moving in that in the right direction or get moving uh, the way that that we all know they have to. Uh, it's frankly, it's it's. Strange, uh, to be honest. Uh, it's it's kind of you know uncharted territory that this is this team is is good enough to skate by on its talent, but everyone can kind of see that the U.S. is going to have some struggles if they're not careful. If they're not careful, uh, someone's going to pick them off, and there are some very very good teams 
uh, that the U.S. could could face. I mean, if you look at the standings in Group B, well, well in U.S. won Group A, of course. Um, if you look at the standings in Group B, all six teams that still have a shot to make the tournament tonight. Uh, if, if you're if you're at home, one o'clock, six o'clock, nine thirty are the three games tonight. All three should be very very competitive, very good games. Uh, right now, you know, if if the whole thing ended today, Croatia would be the number one seed. That's not going to stay that way. So the U.S. will not play Croatia in the next in the quarterfinals or in the in the next round uh, because Croatia's either going to win or lose. And uh, Spain, play, I mean, it, it could happen actually because uh, because I mean, actually, no, it can't because if Spain and Croatia both lose, uh, that would mean uh, Argentina, Lithuania get a point and. Uh, Brazil and Nigeria would tie Croatia. The tiebreakers are going to get very, 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 very confusing uh, for for these teams. Uh, it's going to come down to it might come down to point differentials. So we'll know by the time that uh, by the time Croatia plays tonight uh, who the U.S. might be fa- or what the scenarios are for who the U.S. might be facing. But again, I'll just repeat. I'll just repeat this. Then uh, the U.S. though can't be banking on a win against anybody at this point. They just do not play together. Uh, you look at their offense, it's a lot of isolations. It's a lot of uh, taking mid-range jumpers. It's a lot of just jacking up threes. It's not a lot of movement. It's not a lot of cohesion. This, it, It's become completely clear that this is a team that did not come together in the same way that the 08 and 12 team did. This is a team that hasn't had the time together and the reps together to really be a stellar team. This team feels a lot like the 2004 team, except taking it a little more seriously where they were put together kind of hastily and are struggling to figure out the international game. And that's not a good sign for Team USA in a tournament that's that's extremely, extremely deep. I still expect the U.S. to win the gold. I don't think that that's, that's not the expectation anymore. But if they're not careful or they get the wrong matchup, uh, even in this quarterfinal round, they very well could, could go without a medal. That, that would not surprise me with the way that, that Team USA has played, unfortunately. Um, they've got to figure out a way to come together and play better basketball. Uh, if they're talented enough, they should do it. If they play better defense, they can get out and transition more, which I think is something they want to do, but they've been unable to do because they just haven't been able to get stops. And, and their fast-break opportunities have been severely limited this tournament. When they pulled away from France on Sunday, they were able to get on the break and get stops. So uh, the focus for Coach K and company needs to be on the defensive end, get stops, get in transition, they're good enough even playing bad offense to outscore most teams. Uh, but they can't rely on outscoring most teams. They've got to be able to, to play some defense too. Uh, in, on, in Group B play, and we'll spend a lot of our time here talking about Group B, of course. Uh, Croatia, uh, with, a, with a huge loss to Nigeria, uh, pretty much had the ability to clinch their way into the, into the knockout stage with a win over Nigeria. Uh, would have put them in really good position before facing a, a Lithuania team that just got blown out by 50 points by Spain but was undefeated before then and is still probably uh, one of the favorites to advance. Uh, they'll play the Croatia plays Lithuania actually on Tuesday night. But Mario Hazonia was essentially not even a non-factor. He was non-existent in, in, in Saturday's game. Uh, he... Uh, Started the game, had five points, was looking good, uh, had a bit of a mismatch, was able to actually drive to the basket. It was, it was nice to see him do that. But 
all in all, he was not. He was just not used. Uh, he took a took a. He missed a transition three in the second half as as Nigeria was beginning to to pull away, and the coach sat him for the rest of the second half. He played what maybe five minutes in the second half, and a lot of that came at the end of the game when they had him spearhead a press uh, to try and desperately get back into the game. Uh, why? The coach did it this way. I'm not sure. It, it, I mean, I didn't see anything wrong with Hazonia's defense. I didn't see anything wrong with what with his shot selection. I mean, yes, he tends to take quick shots, and and I I get that that can be annoying, and uh, but it's not anything too dangerous or damaging to the team. So, you know, I I don't know what the reasons are. Uh, it could have been just a bad matchup. Uh, Nigeria is a very small team, and so Simone might have been a better defensive matchup in that sense because Hizonia's defense has been admittedly a little inconsistent. Uh, but it certainly did not seem to be, seemed to me at least, to be uh, a really... It, it seemed a very strange decision, especially when the team needed some offense and needed some shooting to spread the floor and get back in the game. But for whatever reason, Hizonia just doesn't have the trust of his coach and isn't able to get isn't able to be in the game when 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 it feels like his team needs him and and of course he has to accept that role uh you know we we can sit here and complain as magic fans but ultimately that's up to the Croatian coach to decide uh and you know we will figure out you know we'll see what we've learned from from Hazonia at the end of this thing Croatia plays their final game of group play tonight at 9:30 uh they need it's not a must win game i have to review the the scenarios uh but uh, certainly, if Brazil beats Nigeria, they're in better shape. They'll know. They'll know going into the game what they have to do to advance. Um, but a win is probably going to be needed over a very good Lithuania team to ensure that they're in the knockout stage. And I am joined now by Chris Barnwell of At the Hive of Hardwood Proxism of everywhere in the un- in the known universe. Chris, is is, is that is that is that about cover it? That's what they tell me. They tell me I'm pretty much everywhere. Yeah, he is. He is. He is ubiquitous, and uh, he is also in Orlando. And uh, we wanted to chat. Uh, we're, we're, we're recording this on Saturday evening after Croatia lost to Nigeria. Uh, we wanted to chat a little bit about Mario Hazonia and his role with the Croatian national team, and what is best for him as far as his development with the Orlando Magic. Uh, we began debating it, and we were both like. Wait a second. This would probably be better if we just if we just chatted this out. Uh, I began saying, you know, watching Mario Hazonia, he essentially didn't play the entire second half after missing a wide open three. That watching Hazonia stand in the corner is is just not good for his development. Um, I, I thought I, I posted on Twitter at, at the time. This is why I didn't. I thought it would be better for him to play in summer league where he could get a little bit more minutes on the ball, get a little bit more experience, and just practice playing with the ball rather than being a really not even a secondary or third third piece for this Croatian team, which should be good enough to, to make it to the to the medal round and uh, is on the verge of, of going home early. Uh, Chris, you're you're very anti summer league. Uh, so so give give us, I guess, your perspective and then I'll 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 rebut. It's not that I'm anti summer league. I'm anti sophomores at summer okay. league. Because after that first rookie year, there's just you're officially a pro at that point, like an NBA pro. You no longer need Summer League for development. Summer League is just a way to 
let the team look at you, see how far along you've come. If you play well at Summer League, that's awesome, but it doesn't mean anything. If you play bad at Summer League, that's bad because, like, you're an NBA pro. Why are you not doing well at this point against these guys who sure. really – they might not even be pros in Europe. Like, these Summer League guys are good. Some of them never play pro basketball. I mean, a lot of them do, but some of them don't. And just because Hazonia – Hazonia especially has played pro in Europe. He's not played a year of pro basketball in the NBA. Just I don't see what he's going to gain even if he goes out there and dominates Summer League. It's just like, well, he's just doing against talent that doesn't matter. Not that Croatia's been good for him this summer. I don't think as far as development-wise go, but I just don't see how Summer League would have been any more helpful. Yeah, and and I, and I get that, and I always tell people I always tell people when they try to bring up summer league stats, and yes, I do have people who try to argue with me over summer league stats. I'm like, summer league, some, you're right, summer league doesn't matter. Playing well in summer league isn't important. If you you don't find out who can play, you find out who can't more than anything. Uh, but at right. the same, but at the same time, I think it's a good place for even sophomore players to test out some of their some of their skills. I mean, we we'll never know. What would have happened with Aaron Gordon entering the season if he hadn't broken his jaw? But, you know, we all watched Aaron Gordon at Summer League last summer. Uh, he was showing some things that he hadn't even shown during the regular season. And he was able to try it out in kind of a sanitized place where he could get some, you know, I call it kind of alpha dog reps. Uh, he, was, he was the man. He was playing the role that maybe he wasn't going to play with the Magic. But he showed, okay – you know, maybe he can take that that two you know those, that two dribble in on the closeout mid range jumper. You know, maybe you can rely on him to be a better three point shooter. And again, we'll never know if that develop where, where that development would have gone because it was essentially cut short uh, when he broke his jaw and he's pretty much starting from square one uh, when training camp opened and he couldn't even he couldn't even do do uh, contact when that happened. And so similarly with Mario Zonia, I thought it would have been really good for him to. Come in and get some get some like meaningful meaningful role minutes. Get get some meaningful time on the ball, especially where I think it was an area that he really struggled with as a rookie. Well, I kind of see what you, I kind of see where you're going for with that because I I think that does have some merit. I think that has more merit for players that can't shoot. Okay. So like Aaron Gordon, who wasn't really a good shooter, wasn't would could benefit from that. Alfred Payton can benefit from that from those kind of uh, minutes. Uh, we saw that with Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson this year, although Josh Richardson towards the end of last year all of a sudden turned into a good shooter, which is still weird because if you look at every <laughs> draft profile of him ever, it was like not a shooter. And we saw that this year with Justice Winslow. It was like he tried his jump shot out a little. It was a little streaky. Stanley Johnson did the same thing. But again, like I said, Hazonia, um, a lot of it, a lot of my issue with him in particular is that he just already has all this pro experience, like both in Europe and now in the NBA. And kind of to rebut with a different player, uh, Aaron Harrison, obviously not the same level of player as Mario Hazonia or definitely not going to have the same role. But um, Aaron Harrison, his rookie year with the Hornets, um, he was an undrafted free agent. He just got signed onto the Summer League roster and he earned his way onto the official roster through Summer League and training camp. He played really well. This year at Summer League, he didn't play nearly as well and that had a lot of people worried but what I noticed immediately is he wasn't playing the same like role at all. He was playing what he was going to try and do with the Hornets team in particular, which was this off-ball kind of thing, you know, not, nowhere near as much as having the ball. Because his first year he played point guard, and this year it looks like they're going to run him as a shooting guard slash small forward kind of thing. And because he was playing with his lower talent, 
he would never admit this. I even tried to get him to say something to the sort, but he would never admit it because he was playing with a lower level of talent. Just it was more frustrating for him and he wasn't able to do what he was able to do like off ball wise. So because of that talent drop in summer league, I just don't think players really can like they can test out certain individual skills. And I guess Hazonia could like, you know, work on some of those, uh, those individual skills, such as the ball on his hands. Like last year we saw, he had a 16.9 usage percentage and an 18% turnover percentage. Like he was turning, <laughs> he was turning it over more than he was using it. Like it, it yeah. was just, it was not good when he had the ball in his hands. Although that's also a kind of thing rookies do a lot. They usually turn the ball over a lot in the NBA, but just to compare it to that, to Harrison, I'm not sure that players really can just, they can't use what they're going to do at the pro level in summer league. Like they can try some stuff out. Sure. But is that really that much more beneficial to them than as bad as it's gone for him in Croatia than at least going up against real talent? Well, I, I, I mean, I would argue, I guess, with the the diff, with the Croatia example, and I think I think your point about Harrison is absolutely right. Uh, you know, like we, you know, the, I guess the example I would come back with that, that's similar is Devin Marble. Like he was asked to be the Magic's primary scorer in summer league this year, and that's not what he's ever going to be in the NBA. So. Whatever he did while he had the ball in his hands was pretty much useless, and he didn't have anyone to set him up for the three pointers that you wanted to see him develop because that's his that would be his role with the magic. Uh, so the, the difference, I guess, with Mario Hazonia is I kind of see him as being a possible sixth man for the magic and being kind of the, the quote unquote star of that second unit. And so giving him that you can simulate that role a little bit even in summer league. And so Yes, it, I think for different players it, 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 it works differently. You know, Harrison may not be that kind of a player for Charlotte, and so it's his stat. You know, what he does statistically isn't going to matter because it isn't it doesn't fit what he would do for the main team anyway. So you always do right. Have to and, and just to clarify, we are talking about an end of it, the bench guy like Harrison versus a potential six sure. man, seventh man guy like Hazonia. So obviously, this is very different. Yeah, yeah, but I mean. Thinking about the role, I mean, when you when you approach summer league, thinking about the role is very very important in determining whether a summer league is a success or not. What I would argue for Hizonia now that he's playing for Croatia is, what is he practicing? What is he spending the majority of his summer doing for the Croatian national team? When we're looking at how he played, how he's playing uh, offensively for them, uh, he's just standing in the corner. So. When is he? When is it's, it's, it becomes a, a matter of time allocation? What is he doing to do the things that the Magic are going to need him to do? And again, this is extremely selfish uh, on the Magic's part, obviously. Oh, extremely because, because what he's doing, what he's doing right now for Croatia, as terrible as it is possibly for his development and for our viewing experience, <laughs> whatever he is doing, he him getting these stupid lumps that Europe is obsessed with, like not giving their more talented players the ball. Like him doing this is going to eventually get him the ball, the main role. He's putting he's putting his time in. Right. It's ridiculous that he has to do it when he's better than so many of these guys that are like getting the ball more than him. But it's required. Yes, and and I th- I mean I think we're going to see the same thing happening with with which Luka that Vucinic. also like so really the our argument is almost a, a hypothetical at this point because honestly what he's doing right now is far more important than summer league because he's getting in those reps that is going to allow him a larger role with Croatia in the future. Not, not, not to mention, and, and I, I, I'm on the record of saying this, I always support a player deciding to play for his national team. You, you get X amount of times to play for your national team and it's, it's higher level competition than summer league. I mean, 
if, if Hazonia had a role that we were all satisfied with, we'd learn more about what Mario Hazonia is than we would than we would in any summer league game. Right. Like if he was just like allowed if, to, you know, if, run into the pick and roll. If like let's say let's I mean let's say Cro I mean let's say Croatia goes up by fifteen, twenty I mean they're probably not, but let's say they go up by 15, 20 points against Lithuania on Monday and in the third quarter, the, the coach Petrovic decides to take Saric and Bogdanovic out and give Mario the ball. We'll learn more in the five minutes Hazoni is on the floor by himself without those two players and the ball in his hands than we would in an entire, if Hazoni played all 40 minutes of all five summer league games. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the comparison. But at the same time, to me, it's about time allocation. Hazonia has spent most of his time this summer from early July when he joined when he or probably late June when he joined the team for training camp for the Olympic qualifying tournament until today playing that role and that's not going to give the magic what they need from him essentially uh, which is to be a potential sixth man which is to to be on the ball a little bit more be a little bit more assertive and aggressive which he struggled with at times last year as, with with such a short leash on him as a rookie well, see, let's talk about that because you, you're you very committed to the idea that he's going to be um, a potential sixth man or at least a player with a ball in his hands. And obviously the rookie numbers don't aren't as important as what's going to eventually develop. And maybe that's the way he played in Europe. But for me personally, when I watched him last year and from what I've looked at his numbers, just I don't know if that's going to be his future role very much, if at all. Like, I think it's fine if he has the ability to put the ball on his hand, on the floor and do something with it, but I don't know if he should be a ball dominant player like at all. Like especially like we looked at the we see the turnover numbers. Uh, we saw last we expected him last year to be a bit of a shooter, and really like he just wasn't much of a shooter at all, and he didn't even shoot that much from there. So maybe what he really should be focusing on is this off ball stuff, spotting up, cutting, you know, finding areas to score where he doesn't have the ball. And that's why how he'll be a bit more successful NBA player. Yeah, and I think I, and I think that's perfectly fair. I, and I think that's what the Magic have to do with him as well. And that's something Croatia is not doing with him at all. I mean, he's literally standing in the corner waiting for someone to pass the ball. And he, you know, being Mario Hazonia is shooting when he has the opportunity to shoot. Uh, but at the at the same time, his passing ability. What, what impressed me most about Hazonia last year was his passing ability and. It did seem to come few and far between, but when Hazonia was able to get into the into space, get into the open floor, you know, be able to get into get into creases, his 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 vision was was really exceptional. And so I'm trying you know, if I'm a coach, you know, I'm trying to think how can I best use that? And and uh, you've got a you've got some good shooters in that second unit in Jody Meeks and DJ Augustin and even, you know, if, if Meeks is out CJ Wilcox. You can you you can use pretty much a lot of those guys with 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 some ball handling in there, and we're going up against second unit guys. We're not going up against starters quite yet. Uh, I think he can develop into kind of a into into kind of a playmaking three. Um, it, that doesn't mean he can't be a spot up shooter and make those make those standstill shots when he gets them. But I also think he needs to be able to run a little pick and roll. I don't think he'll quite be at pick and roll level yet, but be able to at least do what Evan Fournier does on the offensive end. Just at least a mini Fournier. Maybe. I just, I don't know if he's really be having the ball in his hands that much. Like I think all player, I think the majority of players should have the ability to do something with the ball in their hands. Mm-hmm. Like, cause just that helps your offensive game in general. But just, I don't know if like developing him into an Evan Fournier or a Monte Ginobili type, type player is a good thing. And 
actually, we were discussing this pre-podcast um, before we started recording. Evan Fournier also has like this kind of problem where he doesn't really create for others. He creates more for himself. And I mean, you just said it yourself, Hazoni is a very good passer more than he is a uh, creator for his own offense, which is kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah. When we look, when we look at it, the way he played in uh, Europe. So I almost wonder, like, should he be more focused on, you know, setting himself up in the pick and roll for passes or, you know, when he's doing those cuts, getting a cut, catching it on the cut and then immediately dumping off to the open, to the open man in the corner or the open cutter, you know, those kinds of plays more than this, this ball dominant. Okay. I'm going to take it on the pick and roll. I'm going to go around my man then I'm going to drive or kick out. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, yeah. And I'm not, and, and I'll, I'll try and make this, uh, I guess a little clear. I'm not saying he's your, Isolation one-on-one guy. I, I don't think that's that's who I don't think that's who he is at all quite yet. If if he'll ever even reach there, but I, I do think he has one of his one of his NBA skills is his, is his vision. And you know, I think he probably took some unnecessary risks and made a lot of rookie mistakes, which is why that turnover number is so high. Uh, I think he still struggles to dribble in traffic, which I think is a normal thing for a rookie. But uh, when he's in op- when he's in open space and he has room in front of him, especially in transition, I think he's a really really effective player and I want the ball I want the ball in his hands uh, on a fast break I'll, I'll put it that way how often do you watch Gordon Hayward uh not as much as I should but probably more than the normal I, person <laughs> I think he could potentially if you really want him to be this way I think you should be looking at the way Gordon Hayward plays as some, a way of like he could be playing someone okay. who isn't really good enough a creator to create for himself or for others like all the time but when you give him the ball, you can expect him to like do something good with it. But you still need a really good point guard next to him to like really be effect to really be effective as a team. So I feel like instead of like a Fournier or a Manu Ginobili type player, we should be looking at a Gordon Hayward when looking at him. I think that would be a, a perfect like if 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 Hizonia became Gordon Hayward, the Magic would be would be absolutely. Simple. Oh, Hayward's amazing. I'm just Hayward's talking about amazing. like the, I'm just yeah. talking about play style. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And I, I if he, if he's a mini Hayward, if he's a mini Hayward off the bench for the Magic, with with Augustin there especially, I think that would be that would that would serve what the Magic need this coming year. Uh, just thinking short term at, at this point. So I think I think your play style comparison's spot on. That's exactly who I was thinking of, like, at least when you were describing how you would prefer to play him as. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's funny just looking at all of Hazonia's numbers from last year. Like, he, the Magic were a better defensive team with him on the floor than they were with him off the floor, which goes Scott Skiles. <laughs> and uh, they actually were a better team in general with him on the floor, which is funny because he just could never get on the floor and then he had like all those turnover problems, but I guess like he really did play well and at least made them a better team at he, least, he but did. then he didn't make himself what play well, which is just, it's weird. It, it is it, so much about this team is weird. I don't even know where, I don't even know where to start with how weird this team is. <laughs> this uh, is going to be a fun year just because of how weird they are. Yes. It's going to be a very, very weird year. Uh, I, I don't know how else to describe this this coming season. I've, I'm already getting killed for n- not thinking they're going to make the playoffs, and it seems like a reasonable thing to say that they're not going to make the playoffs. But uh, they very well could. They very well could. Who knows? I'm around 42 wins, and that's the, in my very way, way, way too early predictions. I need to look at the rest of the conference and still analyze teams. Yeah, I'm still trying to remember where people are. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. I forgot. 
I, 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 had a, I have a cousin, and I was trying to convince him that the Utah Jazz were going to make the playoffs. And he's like, who did the Jazz add? And I was like, they got George Hill and Boris Diaw. And he's like, that's not enough. And then I just remember they also got Joe John. They got seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson. Seven, got to include seven-time All-Star. Seven-time All-Star. Freq- I have frequently forgotten Dwight Howard is in Atlanta and yeah. that Jeff Teague is in um, Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. I've frequently forgotten both of those things. <laughs> yeah, it's like, – it's it's a it's it's gonna be strange seeing some of these players where they are. Uh, before moved, yeah, I know it's free agencies. Free agencies crazy. Uh, before I let you go, uh, do you have any other impressions on the uh, Olympic basketball tournament uh, that you wanna wanna blurt out onto the onto the Ethernet? Team USA is playing like garbage. That they are. It's so frustrating. Like you've watched them, right? Yeah, I've watched them. What the the what is with this? Like, you guys are the best team in the world, the best players, and they look like absolute garbage. Like, they all, they all, like, they don't, none of them want to pass. That's a, that's a start. Like, the, I think the other, like, Team USA's in the Coach K era, they, they all had guys, all their big, big guys, like, remembered 04. Like, how, honestly, like, let me, let me ask this. I, I, I'm going to date, I need, I might, I may date myself. How old was Kyrie Irving in 2004? Uh, let me look that up right now. Okay, how old is he? He's like, what, 21? He's 24 years old. He was born March 23rd, 1992, so... He was 12. So around my age. I was around 12. Yeah. So... Like, I mean, I remember, I, like, like, I remember how shocking it was that the U.S. lost to Puerto Rico in the first game. And got, they got there. They got beat up that game, too. That former Magic uh, MVP, um, Carlos Delgado? Is that it? Delgado? Uh, Carlos Arroyo. Arroyo, that was it. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an Olympic, he's a FIBA superstar. Uh, but just, that, it was just shocking that they lost a game. And the 2018 was a complete, 2008 and 2012 were just both complete responses to that shock. And, and I mean, there's so many oral histories about that 2014 now. And rebuilding the U.S. basketball program, you you knew eventually it was going to die off, and it feels like this this group with all the players that pulled out, kind of like in two thousand four, this group like still has the memory of that and knows how important this is, but they don't have the complete buy in of that original. I don't think they're taking it seriously group. enough, to be honest. Like sometimes, I think uh, there are some just natural flaws with the team. Like yeah. I think they do lack creators, which is. Ironic as Cavs fans are adamant that Kyrie Irving is very, very, very helpful to the team, yet he's playing ISO all the time. He's isolating every. I mean, every, I mean, they're not using Draymond Green well, which is no, frustrating aren't. enough. Um, Kevin Durant, I don't know what's with him. Like he just won't shoot. Yeah, and I just I feel like they're not taking it. And then on defense, like you just notice these sometimes where like they just react slow. It's like how seriously are you taking this? Yeah, and and I think you can also tell that the lack of pr- preparation also hurts. I, I honestly. It might have been a bad idea to not have an Olympic camp tryout before the games. Well, the reason they didn't need to do that was because they have like this system they've put in now. You, get, you know the, but the still, select but still, team and all that. But still, adding in like adding in that little bit of competition, having like a, a twenty-man pool that you're going to cut down to twelve, adding that little bit of competition like wakes the competitive juices up in their brains. First off, and second off, would probably get them to listen a little bit more to what the coaches are going to say because the coaches are going to bring the guys that do what they say and stick to their script. Like you, and, and even just beyond that, watching their defense, they're doing a lot of the same like trapping 
switching defensive things that the other teams did. They're just not doing it as effectively. They don't. They're, they're just not on the same page defensively. And did you going- see uh, Paul George rip into them? No, I didn't. Uh, let me pull this up. It's so good. Paul George ripped into them good. It was amazing. And and we'll note that we're recording this on Saturday night, not Sunday, so we're not talk. We we won't know what happened in the uh, U.S. France game. Oh so right, just, they play just, just just for just for the listener. So you know, if the U.S. wins by like fifty over France and everything's okay, disregard everything we've just said, or not, because that all that stuff's still going to be there. It was still relevant. Yeah, it's still it's still relevant, but I I just want to note that. We should start getting some movement. We're relying on our natural talent so much. It's so easy to guard us. Teams are just <laughs> loading is. up and watching us play one-on-one. It's I, so good. I, and I, I hate to say this. Some of their games have put me to sleep. They play this really annoying, boring style. And then like they do this thing where uh, like, like they, the, get, they get bodied. Like... Australia got a little physical with them and they went in their shell. It was it was bad. Like I hate doing the whole oh they're physically weak thing, but holy crap, they were so weak. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. Uh it's and, think, and they and they don't go to the bat they don't go to the they basket. Soft. Oh, they're not used they're not I mean, they're not used to playing FIBA basketball. And it's it's like the refs will let more go. And the refs are really ridiculously inconsistent, but they they'll they'll generally let things go. Oh, that's actually kind of a that Demarcus Cousins is going ready to rip someone's head off. Yes, he is so. And he's been and reps. he's been good offensively when like he, like when he goes out, it's just like a crap. Now that offense is going to his hands are a vacuum. Yes, he's just he's. I mean, he's dominated the paint when he's in. He just can't stay in the game. Um, yeah, that's that should that should just about do that. Uh, Chris, thanks thanks for hopping on here and talking a little bit more about Mario Hazonia uh, and and his future role as well as a. Uh, with Croat- as well as his play with Croatia. Uh, let's, let's definitely do this again sometime soon. Oh, definitely. It was Chris Barnwall of At The Hive and Hardwood Process, and my many thanks to Chris for hopping on and, and talking a little bit about the Olympic basketball tournament with me, uh, as well as hitting some Mario Hazonia issues. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Barnwall, that's C-H-R-I-S-B-A-R-N-E-W-A-L-L. Appreciate the uh, the coming on the podcast, Chris. Uh, before we close out the show, I do want to talk really quickly about uh, the schedule. Uh, I, I had the weekend to digest the schedule a little bit and think a little bit about uh, where the trouble spots are. Uh, I, I Having looked at that schedule, I really truly believe that the most important thing that the Magic can do this, this season is get off to a fast start. Uh, by pretty much all available like formulas and metrics and whatever, the Magic play a pretty balanced schedule. According to Kevin Pelton of ESPN Insider, the Magic pretty much have the schedule that's closest to zero based on 2016 records. So that these, he, he predicts that the Magic schedule adds about .08 wins this year. They have the 11th hardest, they have the 11th hardest schedule in the NBA. But when you look at at least 2016 records, pre- and post-All-Star, the Magic have the, I think it's the 11th easiest schedule. They had the 10th easiest schedule before the All-Star break and the 11th hardest after the All-Star break. Again, to me, the NBA schedule always has a lot of balance. It, it, it's pretty well-established or it's pretty well, uh, uh, pretty well uh, kind of set that you're going to play every team 
pretty much evenly, and there's there's not a lot of variability in in from team to team and in, in who they're playing. So with that being the case, the Magic, you know, no NBA team really can say, oh, our schedule's harder than than anybody else's. There's there's going to be parts that are going to give you trouble and parts that are going to help you out a little bit. Uh, and clearly, by some statistical measure, the Magic play, have about an even evenly matched schedule. They're not gonna they're not gonna miss many opportunities here. But I would like to point out then that the Magic do have to make sure they take advantage of the easy parts. And the easiest part of the schedule is going to be those first two months, October and November, uh, to gain confidence, to be in that playoff race, uh, because the end of the schedule is very difficult. Those last two weeks of the season, especially the end of March, beginning of April, and April is really only, what, two weeks? It's very, very difficult close to the season. So... To me, the most important thing the Magic can do this year is bank up their wins early. Go out and get get some wins early in the season. They play a lot of home games in in October and November. And this is essentially what they did last year. They had a little bit of a slow start as they they got together and and began to figure things out. Uh, They had to change the lineup in November. But... They got out to a fast start. 19 and 13 put them squarely in the Eastern Conference playoff hunt. They were like, what, fourth or fifth? succeed even midway through January as, as they were losing games. They banked up a lot of wins, and that helped them survive at least a little bit of January until the bottom just fell out. Uh, that's going to have to be the case again this year. And the Magic are going to have to come together and figure things out very, very quickly with virtually a, a new team. Half the roster has been replaced, and the Magic, you know, I have a new coach and have a new defense system and have to figure a lot of a lot of things out to to get where they need to go uh which is the playoffs of course and so gaining some confidence to me gaining some confidence early especially with all the home games they have all the manageable home games they have uh they don't really play a lot of difficult teams uh in that stretch uh is going to be absolutely critical for the magic success this season uh you look at the schedule, there there aren't a lot of marquee games early on in the season. There are a lot of teams that didn't make the playoffs. Their first four games are going to be a little bit tough. I mean, for sure. Miami Detroit, Miami, and then a three-game road trip at Detroit, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. If you get out of there two and two, you're, you're probably off to a good start. Then you don't, then the Magic would not see a playoff team uh, from last year, mind you, from November 3rd until November 13th when they go to Oklahoma City. That's four games, that's the next five games, four of them at home, are all pretty winnable. Now, you play Minnesota, you play Utah, you play Chicago, you play Washington. No game is going to be winnable, as, as, as we kind of know the Eastern Conference is very much up for grabs, and it's hard to say the Magic are certainly in. So these are all toss-up games. And essentially, the Magic making the playoffs is going to come down to winning these kinds of toss-up games against their competition. Uh, they'll play to end that to end November. They play New Orleans and Dallas at home. They play Milwaukee. They they play Phoenix. They play Washington again. A team that they've struggled with, but a team that they they need to beat. They need to beat the Washingtons and Milwaukee's, and they play them twice in November. And then this all leads into the first big road trip of the year, a late November, early December jaunt through through the mid through the East Coast. They start in San Antonio and Memphis, then head to Philadelphia, Detroit, and Washington. If they head into that five game road trip above 500 they will a have the confidence to believe to buy into what they're to what they're doing and believe that it's going to work and that's important that happened at various times last year and then they lost it 
So keeping it is also a tricky thing, but they they have to get that confidence early and start banking these wins against teams that you know, are going to be fighting for playoff spots with them. they got to begin to separate themselves from the middle of this pack in the Eastern Conference that's going to be very, that's going to be very, very competitive throughout the season. If the Magic do that, that's why I say the, this beginning stretch of the schedule, this first two months of the season, are going to tell us a lot. And they won't tell us everything about this team, just like last year didn't tell us a lot about everything about this team. But it's going to tell us whether this, whether this playoff hunt is real or if they're still figuring some things out. And if they're still figuring things out in the in the first two months and not not taking that making that step forward, then the Magic are going to have some trouble later in the schedule when it gets tougher. When does it get when does it get tougher? Well, they take a, a early January trip out west: Lakers, Clippers, Blazers, Jazz, Nuggets, Pelicans. Relatively manageable. Uh, it gets tougher when they go out west again in March for a three game trip that includes Sacramento, Golden State and uh, Phoenix. And then it gets really tough at the end of March. March 24th, they play the Pistons. 27th at Toronto. 29th, Oklahoma City. 31st at Boston. 1st at Brooklyn. 4th at Cleveland. And then they hit the stretch run. Brooklyn, Indiana, Chicago. uh, And then they close with uh, Indiana, Chicago, and then they close with Detroit. Those last three games particularly are probably going to be against teams that are also fighting for playoff positioning and possibly fighting for the Magic's playoff positioning if it comes to that. And so knowing that that's, that stretch in the schedule is coming, and, and we heard the Magic talk about it last year where they, they felt like they had to bank up wins in January because February and March were going to kill them. And not banking up those wins in January ultimately cost the Magic the playoff fund. If, if they would have gone... If they would have gone not seven and seven, but say five and five and nine instead of two and twelve, they they might have been able to scrounge something together and stay in the playoff hunt. It may, things may not have been as disastrous as they as they could have been. So taking advantage of light portions of the schedule is going to be important, and the beginning part of the schedule is going to be. Very important for this Magic team. They're going to have to come together quickly and make things work. I want to thank Chris Barnwell again for hopping on Locked On Magic. Good to have a guest on the daily podcast. I'll hopefully do a little bit more of that. I think it worked out really, really well. Good conversation about Mario Hazonia and his role with the Magic this year uh, and his role with the Croatian national team. Remember, you can watch the Croatian national team on the NBC Olympics channel. Check your local listings. NBCOlympics.com may be able to help you find the channel, but check your cable provider for a link to the NBC to the Olympic basketball channel that game tips off at 9:30 very important game for Mario Hazonia and Croatia against Lithuania in group B uh, so be sure to look out for that I'll have a I'll have a uh, recap of that following the game as well uh, as always you can follow me on Twitter at omagicdaily drop us a line using the hashtag locked on magic uh, always want to know what you guys think. If you have any questions about the Magic, be sure to send them my way. I'm happy to answer them, and we'll. I'll, and if it's really good, if it's a really good question, I'll try and answer it in a post and talk about it here on the show. Uh, so with that, I'm going to sign off. Thanks everyone for listening to this extended edition of Locked On Magic. We will see you tomorrow. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. 
Our four pack of LED bulbs is $9.99 and our two pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.